And again, take your Bibles, turn with me to John as we have moved into the middle of the chapter after last week. John chapter 5, we'll be looking at verses 19 through 29 this morning and then we'll pick up with the latter part of the chapter last uh, next week rather we'll look at 30 through 47 Lord willing you remember last week we had the Lord as the Lord of the Sabbath and uh, part of his exercise there and showing them and reminding them that part of the Sabbath was the work of mercy and the work of necessity. Uh, and now we shift. John's message turns from Jesus being the Lord of the Sabbath to the Lord of the judgment. So we read of that in verse 19. So follow along as I begin there in verse 19. So Jesus said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, the Son can do nothing of his own accord, but only what he sees the Father doing. For whatever the Father does, that the Son does likewise. For the Father loves the Son and shows him all that he himself is doing, and greater works than these will he show him, so that you may marvel. For as the Father raises the dead and gives them life, so also the Son gives life to whom he will. The Father judges no one, but has given all judgment to the Son, that all may honor the Son, just as they honor the Father. Whoever does not honor the Son does not honor the Father who sent him. Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever hears my word and believes him who sent me has eternal life. He does not come into judgment, but is passed from death to life. Truly, truly, I say to you, an hour is coming and it as is now here when the dead will hear the voice of the Son of God and those who hear will live. For as the Father has life in himself, so he has granted the Son also to give him to give lot to have life in himself. And he has given him authority to execute judgment because he is the son of man. Do not marvel at this, for an hour is coming when all who in the tombs will hear his voice and come out, those who have done good to the resurrection of life and those who have done evil to the resurrection of judgment. Grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of God endures always. Lord, we thank you for your word. We'd be lost without it. We'd be as blind men grappling about, groping in the darkness. But you have given us your word. It behooves us to know what you have said. Make us more and more to hunger and thirst for your word. We might, like the psalmist, find it to be as sweet as honey to our very souls that we might have a great insatiable desire for it. We pray this in the wonderful name of Jesus. Amen. The Lord of the Judgment. We live in a, in a day, even, even in the visible church, where um, people don't really like to talk about the wrath to come. 
people prefer to hear about the love of God. I did a cruel thing to myself this morning, which I seldom do, but you know that occasionally out of my pastoral duties, I turn on the TV or the radio to see what the popular money is being spent on for religious broadcasting. And there was this fellow um, who is this fellow uh, and uh, apparently has a big church somewhere and and he was explaining that uh, he had recently said something just offhand about wish he had something and doggone it if God didn't just give it to him. And he said, you know, you just need to be careful. God takes you seriously. He's listening to you. If you want a truck, just ask for one. He'll give you one. He gave me one and I didn't really want it. I didn't have any place to put it. Then I had to ask him for a garage. That's where I turned off, okay? My point is this. The place was packed. I was just in Texas, in eastern Texas, a few weeks ago. Had I gone to another clothing or for... I, now, some of y'all are looking at me incredulously right now. And I'm telling you the truth because I get around. I know a lot of churches. And I hear a lot of stories about people leaving churches because they didn't like the fact that the piano was here instead of there. Now, some of you thought, I thought we left that behind in our evangelical church. Well, it's, it's among us, too. Now, I say all this just to say, if we're going to tell people about the real Jesus, one of the things you have to talk about is, yes, last week, the Sabbath, and the fact that our Lord Jesus Christ is able to do for people and meet people's needs. But there's also the reality that we see in this passage we just read, not only that he gives life, we're going we're gonna, to we're gonna look at that, but that he also is the judge. And that he is going to judge on that last day and there will be no hope for anyone who is not found in Christ on that day. And he will condemn them. He will cast them into that eternal punishment, the lake of fires that's described in the scriptures. And that is forever and forever and forever. That means it's unending and unending. If we're going to tell people as we're supposed to tell people about the real Jesus, we can't just tell them about his love for his people and what he does for us and what he has done for this church. And he's done great things for this church over the course of the history of this church. And we anticipate greater things of him. But he doesn't just do 
there's a judgment that's coming. He doesn't just give life for his people, but there's a judgment that's coming. And all of that has to be said, or we've not really said anything. I remember I told a a gentleman years ago, he was advanced in his age. I'd heard heard of him. He was a minister. He was a professor in a seminary. And I just commented to him that I'd heard these things. And he stopped me and he said, "Let let me just say this. If you've not heard that I love Jesus Christ more than anything in this world, you've not heard the truth. The whole truth and nothing but the truth. I'd been talking about his books and such. You know, the things that immature people talk about. And he just pushed me right quickly to the main thing, and that is Jesus. Then that reminds me of another story I heard of a pastor who succeeded a man who had been pastor of a church for 42 years. And as the older gentleman was approaching uh, uh, death, he told him, said, now, you know, you're going to preach my funeral. And if you stand up there and you tell them, oh, everyone loved old Dr. Lee, I will kick the lid off the casket and call you a liar because not everybody did love old Dr. Lee. Tell them the truth, son. Well, the point is, if we're not going to tell people the truth about Jesus, then we just ought not to tell people anything about Jesus. If we're going to just tell people part of the truth, then that's a falsehood. This passage tells us the whole truth about our Lord Jesus Christ. So let's, let's go to it. First, the Lord is God to be honored and to give life. That's the, that's, that's right at the beginning. So Jesus said, truly, truly, your translation in hand may say verily, verily. That's an older translation, but it's perfectly fine. Truly, truly. Notice the emphasis. Jesus uses this uh, often, and it's to put emphasis on what he's saying. In other words, it's, it's similar to behold. You know, it's the sit up, pay attention. Listen to me. What I'm about to say is is important and you cannot have life and life abundant without this. Truly, truly, I say to you, the son can do nothing of his own accord. And right there is where many people have stopped reading and say, oh, see, Jesus. And there's a, there's a tradition in, his, in, in Christianity that has said that the Lord Jesus Christ is subordinate to the father. That is, the father is here, the Son is here, and the Holy Spirit is, well, we're not sure where he is. He's somewhere down here. There's a hierarchy in the Godhead. The problem is they stopped reading. So let's don't, okay? Let's go back there. I say to you, the Son can do nothing of his own accord, but only what he sees the Father doing. For whatever the Father does, the Son does likewise there's the key. There's no hierarchy here. There's a, there's a if we're going to call it anything, there's a complementary relationship. Or to put it in classic Trinitarian language, there's equality. One God, three persons, Father, Son, Holy Spirit, equal in power and glory. Same in substance, equal in power and glory. 
And that's what this passage tells us. For the Father loves the Son and shows him all that he himself is doing. And greater works than these will he show him so that you may marvel. For as the Father raises the dead, here it comes, and gives them life, so also the Son gives life to whom he will. So the Father's work and the Son's work, they're both doing of their own accord. Yes, the son sees what the father's doing and he does it likewise, but he's also doing on his own accord. He is God, a very God. And so their work is complementary. It's not, it's not this way, it's this way. The father judges no one now. Interesting, isn't it? The father judges no one, but has given all judgment to the son. Now we go to the Old Testament. Who judges? God does. So here, just in simple terms, what we have in this passage is clearly a statement of the deity of Jesus Christ. He is able to do exactly what God is able to do. Why? Because he is God. That's why we have to be very careful. We have to talk in terms that we don't suggest that God and Jesus are distinct. We should be careful and say, God the Father, and God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. And so the Father sent him. And whoever does not honor the Son does not honor the Father who sent him. Truly I say to you, whoever hears my words and believes him who sent me has eternal life. He does not come into judgment, but has passed from death to life. So this first paragraph tells us that the Lord, Jesus, is God and he is to be honored as God. He gives gives life. He judges. What the Father does, he does. He's to be honored. And so the Father and Son are the same. They do the same work because they have the same will. They have one will. Now you say, well, but what about later on, Jesus, on the night before he's, when he's betrayed, the night before he's crucified, he, he is in the garden and he says, Father, if it be your will, take this cup away from me. But not my will, but your will be done. What about that? Well, now you're getting into another issue. You're not dealing with his deity. You're dealing with his humanity. Oh, yeah, I forgot about that. This is the God-man. See, that's the difficult part. That's where we come into to complications in this whole conversation, isn't it? We say he's God, and then if we're not careful, we'll, 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 we'll stop thinking and realizing and and taking in consideration that he's the God-man. Once he takes on flesh, he is forever and forever and forever and always the God-man from that point forward. And there's where the complication really comes in is because now he is, he is two natures and one person. He is the divine nature and he is the human nature. But he is one person, the Lord Jesus Christ. 
Some of you just checked out. Don't or else you don't have a savior. Okay. If you don't get this and if you don't believe this, you do not have a savior. Because he has to be God to save you and he had to be a man to stand in your place. To take your sin and to do for you what you couldn't do for yourself. That is to perfectly keep the law. He had to be both to save you. He is therefore the mediator, one mediator between God and man, Paul says. So you go to that passage, you say, okay, he says, not my will be done, but your will be done. He was suffering in the flesh. God in his deity doesn't suffer, but in his humanity, God, man could suffer. And he is sweating drops of blood. And he is anticipating the cross. And he says, if, 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 it, if it possible, this cup pass from me. But then the divine speaks, nevertheless, not my will, but your will be done. And what did he end up doing? He ended up going to the cross. He ended up suffering and dying for us on the cross. Why? Because the divine will was one will. The father and the son were one in what they willed to accomplish. And that was to save us from our sins on the cross. They have one will. Christ Jesus has two wills, the human and the divine. But aren't you glad that the divine will in the son and the divine will in the father are the same? So that he saved us and didn't submit to the frailty of humanity. The Lord is God to be honored and he gives life, we're told. The do you notice that weaved in here? And we don't want to miss it. As the father raises the dead and gives them life, so, all the, so the son gives life to whom he will. Now here, he's not talking about the resurrection, the final judgment. He's talking about day-to-day -day life. We're dead in our trespasses and sins. The father, the effectual call of the father to call us to himself, that's in day-to-day -day life. You and I would never believe in the Lord Jesus Christ if the Father hadn't have called us to him. We'll get to that in John chapter 6 also. But it's anticipating it right here, so we have to address it. The Father gives life. And Jesus says, and I also give life. The Father gives life in that he calls the dead, spiritually dead, to himself. The son gives life because he is the life giver. He is the one who loves us and gives himself for us. He is the way, the truth, and the life. The father raises the spiritually dead and the son and gives them life. So also the son gives life to whom he will. Then John turns. Oh, and by the way, just some examples. You say, well, wait a minute. Jesus gives life 
spiritual life, but he also raised some dead during his life on this earth. And that's right. And that, that was a first fruit. That was, a, that was evidence that he could give spiritual life. If he could give physical life, memory gets into this discussion with the Pharisees, which is easier? Which is easier? Come out of the grave or you're forgiven? And for Jesus, it was flip a coin. Heads, tails, doesn't matter. They're both equally easy for me. I'm the life giver. Jairus' daughter, you'll remember, the son of a widow, and of course Lazarus, and he was already putrefying, stinking, decomposing. And the Lord Jesus gave physical life as the first fruit of this resurrection that now John's going to talk about. Truly, truly, again, we come to the truly, truly. I say to you, an hour is coming and now is when the dead will hear the voice of the Son of God and those who hear will live. For as the Father has life in himself, so he has granted the Son also to have life in himself. And he has given him authority to execute judgment because he is the Son of Man. Do not marvel at this, for an hour is coming when all who are in the tombs will hear his voice and come out. Those who have done good to the resurrection of life and those who have done evil to the resurrection of judgment. And so that brings us to the second point. The Lord is God to bring judgment on those who reject him. That's simple. If you do not have a new heart given by the Lord, then you will definitely not escape the final judgment and those shuddering words from Jesus, depart from me, for I never knew you. There's no escaping that on that last great day unless you are known by Christ and unless Christ has given you life. Notice uh, here, we've got, we've, got, we've, we've, got, we've got so much going on here in this passage because John has already told us back at the end of chapter 3, whoever believes in the Son has eternal life. Whoever does not obey the Son shall not see life, but the wrath of God remains or abides on him. So here John is, as I said, switching gears a bit and moving from the judgment that goes on in day-to-day life. That's the reference point back up in verse 22. The father judges no one but has given all judgment to the son. Not only do those who are not in Christ suffer under the judgment of God every day of their life. That's what John 3, 36 just said. Whoever does not obey the Son shall not see life, but the wrath of God doesn't say shall come upon him. It says abides on him. That's in the present tense. It's right now. We forget this. 
I said this two chapters ago. I'm going to say it now again. We forget this and we don't, we, we ought not to forget this. That our friends who are not in Christ Jesus, our friends who are living outside of Christ, our friends who are not believers in the Lord Jesus Christ, our friends who have, do not have genuine saving faith, suffer the temporal judgments of God every day. You say, I don't know. I know some people who deny the Lord Jesus Christ and they seem to get along fine. They seem to prosper. And that's the difference between your eyes and his eyes. We don't know the torment that people are going through in their souls. But we know they are. And that should cause us to think about them differently. And it should cause us to reach out to them more affectionately. People who suffer need Christ. Now, with that said, that there's a temporal judgment, this latter portion is not dealing with the temporal judgment, is it? Because it says that there's going to come a time when all who are in the tombs will hear his voice and come out. Those who have done good to the resurrection of life and those who have done evil to the resurrection of judgment. Now it's interesting here. There's two resurrections spoken of in this passage. But there's no time separation. Keep that in mind because some of you grew up in a tradition like I did where there are two resurrections but there's a thousand year difference. And this passage puts them both together. By the way, just like another passage does at the end of the book in Revelation, we begin reading in chapter 20. Verse 11, then I saw a great white throne and him who was seated on it from his presence, earth and sky fled away and no place was found for them. I saw the dead, great and small, standing before the throne and books were opened. Then another book was opened, which is the book of life. And the dead were judged by what was written in the books according to what they had done. And the, and the sea gave up the dead who were in it. Death and Hades gave up the dead who were in them, and they were judged, each one of them, according to what they had done. Then death and Hades were thrown into the lake of fire. This is the second death, the lake of fire. And if anyone's name was not found written in the book of life, he was thrown into the lake of fire. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away and the sea was no more, and I saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, 
prepared as a bride adorned for her husband, and I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them, and they will be his people, and God himself will be with them as their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes, and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore, for the former things have passed away. That's the same as we just read in John chapter 5. There is a judgment day coming. Here we see this pointed out. An hour is coming, verse 25 says. It's very specific. An hour. It's not anything else. And now here is when the dead will hear the voice of the Son of God and those who hear will live. The Lord is God to bring judgment on those who reject him. But he gives life to all those who receive him. All those who trust him. And they have to trust him as God. They have to acknowledge that he is the one who has the same will as the Father from eternity. He is the one who does the will of the Father. He is the one who is doing the work of the Father, just as the Father is doing his work, so the Son is doing his work, and the two act as one. But they're two, Father and Son. By the way, the Holy Spirit's not spoken of here. We're going to get to the Holy Spirit soon enough. John's going to give us three whole chapters on the Holy Spirit. But right now, it's important for people to understand, and John wants to make this stress, just like he did from the very first verse. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him. Without him was not anything made that was made. In him was life, and the life was the light of men. That's what this passage is saying. I told you months ago when we worked our way through the prologue, those first 18 verses of John chapter 1, that is just a mini John. Those 18 verses we're going to see fleshed out through the next chapters. And here we are seeing them just like that. Now we read something that's very troubling to some people. We read it. We read it here. At the end of this portion, the tombs are opened. Those who have done good to the resurrection of life and those who have done evil to the resurrection of judgment. We read it again in Revelation chapter 20, verses 11 and following. Those who had done good works for their good deeds and for their evil deeds, they were judged accordingly. You say, well, so... Does that mean our good works, we're saved by our good works? No, we're judged according to our good works or our bad works. We're saved by faith in Christ alone. But there is a final day when our faith will either be vindicated or it will be accused as a false faith. 
Uh, did you hear me? There will come a day when our faith, that which we claim to be holding on to Christ with, our faith will either be vindicated as genuine or it'll be accused and condemned as illegitimate. This is what our confession says. <clears throat> the end of God's appointing this day is for the manifestation of the glory of his mercy and the eternal salvation of the elect and of his justice and the damnation of the reprobate who are wicked and disobedient. For then shall the righteous go into everlasting life and receive that fullness of joy and refreshing which shall come from the presence of the Lord. But the wicked who know not God and obey not the gospel of Jesus Christ. Notice the couplet there. Who know not God, we know God through faith, and obey the gospel of Jesus Christ shall be cast into the eternal torments and be punished with everlasting destruction from the presence of the Lord, from the glory of his power. But we can't get around this fact that our lives matter and that our faith has to color our lives. Westminster Larger Catechism 90 says that Jesus said it, didn't he? By their fruits you shall know them. Not by their words, not by their vain repetition. Oh, I believe, I believe, I believe. But did their faith actually produce a life of godliness? We're not saved by our works. We're saved unto good works. Paul says the same thing in, in Ephesians in a passage that many of you have memorized and maybe stopped short of memorizing fully in chapter 2. Of course, we've all had the memory packets for by grace you have been saved through faith. This is not your own doing. It's a gift of God, not a result of works so that no one may boast. And that's where the memory verses usually end, at the end of, beginning of verse 8 and the end of verse 9. But notice, there's a four that comes right after that. Just like you ought to always read the therefores, you need to read the becauses and the fours too. For we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. So our faith, as Luther was fond of saying, our faith, we are saved by faith alone in Christ alone, but it's never a faith that is alone. So we're not saved by our works. We're saved by Christ. But the faith that brings us into union with Christ is a faith that will work for Christ. Because we love him. Faith matters now. And faith matters in that last great day. There's no room for a lax Christian or a worldly Christianity. 
This passage tells us that uh, the judgment is coming, the judgment is real. And the question is, will you be openly acquitted and acknowledged on that day? Will your faith be proved legitimate? See, that's the reason Paul reminds the church at Corinth, at Corinth, which was a worldly church, it looked rather worldly and it had adapted the culture of its day. And one of the last things he says to her is examine yourself, test yourself that you be found in the faith, if indeed you really are in the faith. You say, wow, pastor, that's a gloom and doom one right there. That's just reality, folks. See, Paul didn't want a, a, anyone from the church at Corinth standing before God on that last great day and saying, Lord, Lord, didn't we do all this for you? And he says, depart from me for I never knew you. He wanted what they did to be the produce of a genuine faith, not an illegitimate faith. And so he called them lovingly to examine themselves, to test themselves that they be found in the true faith. In the one true Christ, the Christ that's set forth for us right here in John chapter 5. So, we should all examine ourselves. We should all consider our lives. We should all ask for more faith. Remember, the disciples did increase our faith, Lord, we believe, help our unbelief. And then we walk out of this place with our faith more focused on Christ. Because see, if our faith is more focused on Christ, guess what? We're going to be following Christ. And what's Christ doing? He's doing these good works. And guess what we'll end up doing as we follow Christ? We'll be doing what Christ would have us do. And that's living by faith. Father, thank you. And we ask you to hear our prayer to do this, to give us the faith that follows Christ. And as we follow Christ, that we'll do all the good works that he has put before us to do. And we ask this in Christ's name. Amen.